Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And if you'd like to support the show, you can find our merch store at etsy.com shop slash beyond blathers and take a look at the stickers and postcards we have for sale that feature Olivia's amazing animal art. So you may have noticed we were kind of MIA these past two weeks. It's been a really a really busy couple of weeks with school for both of us, so we weren't able to get an episode out. We apologize for that. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And yeah, luckily this week we are back with a dinosaur, so it should be very fun. Yeah, sorry. It's been just like such a busy time. I mean, we're both doing master's degrees, so school sometimes gets a little out of hand. Yeah, thank you all so much for your patience, and we're kind of back on schedule now, but life gets overwhelming, <laughs> but we love the podcast, and we're we're really happy to be back with you all. Yeah. So what dinosaur are we doing today? So today we're doing a dinosaur called Deinonychus, or Deinonychus. I think I'm going to try and pronounce it Deinonychus, because that's how I've seen it presented in, like, YouTube videos and stuff, so... It's kind of a weird name, but it is a very cool dinosaur. Yeah, I think it sounds a lot like a Greek god, like Dionysus, I guess. Which is interesting because the Greek means terrible claw. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Dionysus is the god of grape harvest winemaking, orchards and fruit, <laughs> also insanity, ritual madness, <laughs> religious ecstasy, festivity and theater. <laughs> See, what's funny is none of that has anything to do with Dinonychus, in my opinion. Dinonychus, you know, they love to party. They, maybe they did. Maybe they were also insane or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and religious. Well, let's see what Flathers has to say about Dinonychus. So if you bring a Dinonychus fossil to Blathers, he'll say, Ahem. Yes, you may not have heard of Deinonychus, but you may have heard of its cousin, the Velociraptor. Both were predators distinguished by their frightening huge toe claws. They also likely had feathers. The main difference between them? Size. Deinonychus was about 7 feet tall and weighed 160 pounds. Little Velociraptor on the other wing was a compact 2 feet tall and weighed only about 33 pounds. I've heard that people meeting celebrities are often surprised at how short they are in person. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, I remember this of just being like, wow, velociraptors were small. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Sometimes, though, I feel like people think they were like, I see the, the fact thrown around a lot that they were like chicken sized, which also isn't true. Like they were definitely a little bit bigger than that. Some people say like rooster sized. I don't know if that's like a rooster is such a round animal to me that it feels weird to compare it to a rooster or not a rooster. Sorry, a turkey. Toddler sized, maybe. Yeah, maybe that. I heard someone say like like eagle sized and I was like, OK, that I feel oh, yeah. like is a better like if if you want that bird relationship, I guess that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Anyway, it's like pretty small, though. It's not Jurassic Park big. Right. But speaking of which, I mean, I really like <laughs> Blathers is like, it's like meeting celebrities. 
Because, yeah, like Deinonychus and Velociraptor really are dinosaur celebrities. But the average person on the street will likely have never heard of Deinonychus. However, they will recognize its image because Deinonychus is that sort of like classic Velociraptor from Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park modeled Velociraptor after Deinonychus. As we were just mentioning, the real Velociraptor is relatively small. It has feathers, this very narrow snout, and in my opinion, it's kind of like the size of a small border collie. That was like when I was looking at sort of proportions of it against a person. Um, That's kind of what it reminded me of. In Steven Spielberg's iconic movie, the Velociraptors are these massive, scaly creatures. They hunt in packs, and they're also shown as being really smart and having like these very dexterous hands to open doors. But funnily enough, Michael Crichton, the author who wrote the book that inspired the movie, Jurassic Park, he actually called the paleontologist who discovered Deinonychus to ask him about the dinosaur because he wanted to include it in the book. Of course, this was like back in the 80s when Crichton couldn't just Google it. Like he had to actually call up the paleontologist, which I don't know if he would still do today, but I think that's kind of fun. (laughs) That paleontologist's name was John Ostrom, and we'll talk a lot about him later. But after writing the book, Crichton actually reached out to Ostrom again to apologize to him because he decided to change the name of Deinonychus to Velociraptor because he thought the name was like catchier, even though Deinonychus means terrible claw in Greek and is very like cool sounding also. But Crichton said like, unfortunately, not enough people know Greek to like make that association right off the bat, whereas like Velociraptor has the word raptor and it's like... I don't know. Right. It just sounds very scary. And veloc like velocity as well. Like it makes them sound fast. And so were Velociraptors not famous before Jurassic Park? I I don't know enough to say that. I think they were probably not that famous. I don't I feel like Jurassic Park really made like so much dinosaur knowledge mainstream. But they were definitely discovered before that, or like a long time before that, even before Deinonychus. <laughs> Michael Crichton didn't himself. <laughs> he made up the Velociraptor. <laughs> they named Velociraptor after Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> so how similar is Deinonychus to the dinosaur of Jurassic Park? Like, did he just exactly take Deinonychus or is it sort of fictional? It's actually pretty close. Like, I would say as far as, like, exaggerated dinosaur representatives are... I kind of want to talk about, like, Deinonychus in general and then sort of end our episode by, like, comparing the Velociraptor to Deinonychus. So as we're going through this episode, I want listeners to, like, think about Velociraptor in Jurassic Park and, like, maybe that'll help you remember some of these cool facts a bit more. But for now, I really want to focus on Deinonychus because this is, like, actually one of the most important dinosaurs in like the history of paleontology and to our understanding of dinosaurs as a whole. So I do want to make sure it gets the attention it deserves and isn't like overshadowed by Velociraptor as like the the cartoonified version of Velociraptor. It's just a very, a very cool animal. Yeah, it sounds like Velociraptor has stolen the spotlight for far long enough. Yeah, and I also think some people think that because 
the Velociraptor in Jurassic Park didn't look like that, that nothing looked like that, which is also really wrong. There's a lot of dinosaurs that look like the dinosaur we see on screen. So if we want to bring ourselves back to 115 to 108 million years ago, to ancient North America during the early Cretaceous, that's where Deinonychus lived. It stalked the swamps and floodplains of these regions, and it was a hunter, one that probably most of us would not like to encounter. It was likely covered in feathers, and you'd still be able to see like its piercing eyes watching you through the trees of the swamp. It was definitely one of those ambushing kind of creatures. Deinonychus had a very long tail, it had these long, strong legs, and it also had relatively short arms. But beyond the sharp teeth in its mouth, the most notable aspect of this predator would have been that long scythe-shaped claw on its toe. Now, the dinosaur I've described here is very agile and possibly quite smart for its kind. It's also very bird-like, and when it was discovered, this was really revolutionary because this is just not how we really pictured dinosaurs at this point in time. So let's remember back to one of our earliest episodes, the Archaeopteryx episode. This was like our ninth episode, I think. It's quite old. Yeah. But we did talk a little bit about this. So Archaeopteryx was this very bird-like dinosaur. It was feathered, and it really possessed so many of those features we now identify as bird features. When Archaeopteryx was first discovered in the early 1860s, Thomas Huxley, also known as Darwin's bulldog for the way he vehemently defended Darwin's beliefs, first proposed the connection between birds and dinosaurs. So it's not as though this idea hadn't been considered before. Like, this was not a completely new idea. But it was kind of, like, argued about for a while. And then after the 1920s, the bird-dinosaur relationship just wasn't really seriously considered. And we had this idea of like these big lumbering beasts. If you see those old animations from like, you know, the 40s and the 50s, dinosaurs just look very bulky and like just just generic monsters. <laughs> yeah. But then the 1960s came about. And in 1964, John Ostrom, who was a paleontologist working at the time for the Yale Peabody Museum, he was touring potential excavation sites with his assistant, Grant Mayer. And they were in Montana's Bighorn Basin, which is this very beautiful, like, kind of badlands prairie area. While they were walking, Ostrom discovered this large claw poking out of the ground. And that's how Deinonychus was discovered which I think is kind of fitting considering that one of its like most famous features is that beautiful claw. So I don't know, maybe this is like an exaggeration of the story. It's like they just stumbled upon it. But I like that idea. I hope that that's true. Yeah, it's cool to think of a claw poking out of the ground. It's so like fearsome and wonderful. It's very Halloween-y. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, as Ostrom later found out, he wasn't actually the first one to have dug up Deinonychus remains. Also in Montana, over 30 years prior, Barnum Brown and his team were digging up a Temnotosaurus when they found the fossilized remains of a carnivorous-looking theropod dinosaur. Brown brought the specimen back to the American Museum of Natural History, where he intended on taking a closer look at it later. He kind of noticed that the teeth looked a little bit funky compared to the rest of the skeleton, but he never really got to describing it very well, so he didn't really notice anything about these strange teeth. But it turns out that Barnum Brown actually had the teeth of Deinonychus on the skeleton of a different theropod. So in the end, 
you know, Ostrom wasn't actually the first person to dig this thing up, but he was the first one to sort of identify it for what it was. And a fun fact, Barnum Brown is the guy who is credited with discovering the T-Rex, and he's also named after P.T. Barnum, which I thought was kind of weird. I was going to ask about that. It's like kind of an unusual name, or it's it's like iconically P.T. Barnum, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what parents are like, I'm going to name my child after P.T. Barnum, but okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess he made a name for himself anyway, so. Yeah. It's kind of a funny one. But going back to John Ostrom and the Deinonychus he discovered, Ostrom described his find in 1969, and it really just changed everything about paleontology. This dynamic, long-legged creature really contradicted the image of dinosaurs as these lumbering, lazy beasts. So no longer were they like giant lizards. This discovery really brought back to light this idea that birds descended in some way from dinosaurs. This relationship was strengthened and really hasn't, like, it It just is fact now. Like, we, it just makes sense with everything we found. And it still blows my mind that, like, birds are dinosaurs. Yeah, this is really interesting. And it does feel kind of full circle to be talking about this again, like you said, with the Archaeopteryx episode. And that's one of my favorite of your illustrations, too, because it does look so bird-like. Yeah, that was such a fun one to draw. There's some beautiful, beautiful paleo art of Archaeopteryx out there. And so for Deinonychus, how are they, I guess, related to other dinosaurs? Like, what's their taxonomy? So Deinonychus was part of a family called the Dromaeosauridae, or otherwise known as the Dromaeosaurs. So this includes creatures like Velociraptor, Dromaeosaurus, Utah Raptor, and basically all of those like raptor looking (laughs) creatures. I don't know how else to say that, but just what you would think of when you think of like a Velociraptor. Utah Raptor was ridiculously huge. It was like a horse, (laughs) which is terrifying to imagine. So it was like even bigger than the ones you see in Jurassic Park. Now, this whole group shares a common ancestor with the Trudontids, which are another raptor-looking group. And they also share a common ancestor with the birds. That exact relationship is kind of debated, whether they're more closely related to the Trudontids or to the birds. But essentially, they're all kind of in that same group. Now, there's only one species within the genus Deinonychus, and that is Deinonychus anterophis, which is nice because you don't have to remember a whole bunch of different species. And so was Deinonychus a pack hunter like we see in Jurassic Park? Is that accurate? Yeah, it's it's so funny because like some of my favorite scenes in Jurassic Park are those raptor hunting images. Like that that whole scene in like Jurassic World with Chris Pratt on the like motorbike and the, <laughs> the velociraptor is like running with him and like the yeah. whole like iconic scene where he's got his hands out and they're like around him. I love that. I love that aspect of the Jurassic World movies. I think it's so fun. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be all that accurate, um, although it is complicated. So at the time of Jurassic Park, it seems to have been like kind of widely accepted or at least like accepted by John Ostrom, who is the expert on Deinonychus, that Deinonychus was a pack hunter. So the reason being that Ostrom, when he was doing all these studies on Deinonychus, had found four individuals at this site alongside a Temnotosaurus which is a relative of Iguanodon, so like a big herbivorous creature. 
He figured that the Deinonychus were way too small to take down this prey alone. It was significantly larger than them. I mean, iguanodons are big. So he thought that the Deinonychus would have had to work together to hunt this creature, to jump on it, to climb it, to slash at their prey with that long claw. And he also noticed that Deinonychus have pretty large brains for a dinosaur. So he figured, okay, this this might suggest that they have the cognitive ability to figure out complex social structures that are involved in hunting, in, in collaborative hunting. That sort of group hunting behavior, it requires a lot of intelligence. Like think of orcas, think of wolves. They're all really smart and they're able to figure out that whole social interaction in order to do a group hunt. Now, I should also mention that this is not the only time Timnotosaurus has been found alongside Deinonychus. So there really seems to be a very strong kind of predator-prey relationship happening here. But some issues start to arise around this idea in 2007. So a study was published by researchers Rochen Brinkman, who found that in one of these sort of groups where they found Deinonychus together and some prey one of the Deinonychus had actually been killed by another Deinonychus. So, like, calls coming from inside the house here, like, <laughs> something's going on. Like, why would one kill the other? We've got a murder mystery here. And I also found myself thinking kind of the same thing when I was reading these ideas of Ostroms. I was sort of like, that seems kind of presumptuous to think that just because a group of dinosaurs is around a prey item that they definitely collaboratively killed it. I mean, I'm sure they thought about it harder than that, but like, I'm a little skeptical here. But turns out, so in 2020, Fredrickson et al. published a paper called The Otogenic Dietary Shifts in Deinonychus, Insights into the Ecology and Social Behavior of Raptorial Dinosaurs Through Stable Isotope Analysis. So it's a very fancy title, but it was a very interesting and well-written paper. I do, I did quite enjoy it. What they say is that they don't believe that the social hunting idea makes sense for dromaeosaurs, mostly because if we look at birds, as well as reptiles and crocodilians today, we don't really see this pack hunting behavior, at least not in like a wolf pack kind of way. So the closest we really get to a group predation activity is with Komodo dragons, who will often congregate to sort of kill slash scavenge. But other than that, there's not really a lot of examples of this happening. So that's kind of an issue where we're not really seeing parallels in the behavior today with similar groups, which is, it's difficult because with dinosaurs, it's we'll never really know what their behavior was like, but we can sort of hypothesize based on what we see around us today. Yeah. And I was just thinking with birds too. I mean, sometimes you will see them kind of around like a kill together, but it's usually like either scavenge or or like, you know, one of them has killed it and the others kind of come around because they're like, ooh, (laughs) you killed it. Like, let me get in on that kind of a thing. Yeah. Or they'll like collaboratively swarm. Yeah. But they won't be like hunting them usually. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that was kind of an interesting thing they pointed out. And then they go on to look at a whole bunch of teeth from both adult Deinonychus and also juveniles. So with those teeth, they conducted a carbon isotope analysis, which can tell us a little bit about what kind of food they're eating. And you can compare the isotope analyses to each other to sort of go, okay, were they eating similar things or very different things? When they did this analysis, they found that juveniles and adults were likely eating very different food. 
And this is interesting because let's think about wolves again for a second here. They hunt in packs and their whole thing is that their young get to have some of the kill too. The young aren't usually in danger of being attacked by the other pack members while they're trying to eat. You know, they're not going to be immediately killed if they try and take a bite. So they're going to be having a pretty similar diet to their parents. But in Komodo dragons, there's a really high competition between members of the group who are feeding. They will have sort of a hierarchical system in which the oldest Komodo dragons or the biggest Komodo dragons will eat first and then the others will come in. But it's a pretty dangerous place. Like they will attack and kill each other. So young Komodo dragons aren't going anywhere near that mess. Instead, they go up into the trees and they are eating completely different food from the adults. So this leads to the conclusion that like maybe the Deinonychus aren't pack hunters at all. But to make matters even more complicated, if we look at fossil evidence from other theropods, which are sort of the big T-Rex raptor looking things, it's pretty common to find juveniles and adults together in a way that's quite confidently like these, these were groups that were hanging out together. So maybe, maybe there was some kind of social behavior here. Maybe the answer to what kind of social life these animals had is some combination of maybe they had their young with them sometimes, maybe they didn't quite hunt together, but maybe they sort of congregated. Hard to say. My other main concern with this study on isotopes is that I'm not I'm not really sure how they make sure that the teeth from the juveniles and the adults are like close enough together spatially and temporally that you can assume that their diets match up. They do like address it in the paper, but I don't know enough about isotope analysis to assess whether they did a good job of addressing this. So I just wanted to be transparent about that. I don't know what the response was to this paper, but I did think they made like a pretty solid argument, even without the isotope analysis, just talking about the behavior um, and how that doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I mean, whatever it ends up being, or I guess we'll, we'll never know for sure, but it's it's interesting to kind of see how paleontologists kind of try to puzzle this out and and figure it out like what they what tools they can use to try to figure it out what to analyze interesting yeah it's very interesting I liked reading these papers I will also say like just in terms of sort of like non-scientific paper wise like the Natural History Museum of London their page on Deinonychus sort of says like they they seem to be under the impression that like they did not hunt in groups so I mean, that's not like a peer-reviewed source, but <laughs> hopefully they talk to some of their like in-house paleontologists about that. So going back to some of John Ostrom's game-changing ideas about Deinonychus, Ostrom also figured that given Deinonychus's clearly predaceous behavior, that this dinosaur dinosaur would have had to have been warm-blooded. And this was kind of a different thought because like I said, At this point in time, dinosaurs were sort of seen as these like big lumbering lizards and lizards are cold-blooded or I guess like the fancy word is like ectothermic, Um, but we're going to say cold-blooded for simplicity's sake today. You know, something that's really active kind of needs to be warm-blooded because like if you think of something like a lizard, it's going to need heat from the environment. It can't really spend a whole bunch of energy like running after prey with big, long, muscular legs. They're often like laying down and conserving their energy. Also, if we look at Deinonychus's bones, they also appear to indicate endothermy or warm-bloodedness. 
So in ectothermic animals or the cold-blooded creatures, you'll often see sort of this tree cookie appearance. There will be rings indicating periods of time when that animal grew really fast or periods of time when there were few resources and it had to grow slowly. So much like, yeah, a tree cookie. But warm-blooded animals don't have that as often. They'll have sort of just like a no-ring bone slice. And Deinonychus doesn't have those rings, so that's another hint towards warm-bloodedness. I'd say sometimes when we're talking about these tree rings, because there are some warm-blooded animals that sometimes have rings, and cold-blooded animals who sometimes don't. So this isn't like a foolproof method, but this is like some increasing evidence and some increasing clues towards what we could have expected of these animals in their life. Wow, I just assumed that we knew whether dinosaurs were warm or cold-blooded, but I don't feel like I could tell you which it was, but I thought yeah. that, that that was established. Apparently, it's it really depends on the dinosaur, which is kind of cool. That's really cool because there aren't any like cold-blooded birds, right? No, no, yeah. which is part of the weird thing. There's a really good episode of PBS Eons on this. Um, so if you search up like Deinonychus and PBS Eons, um, you'll get like a little, like a crash course on this in more detail. So I I tell people to watch PBS Eons a lot. It's fantastic. I love that show. It's on YouTube. <laughs> awesome. And and so if Deinonychus maybe didn't hunt in packs, potentially, what hunting adaptations did they have? So they had that claw, which is amazing. Um, we should talk more about it, actually. So the claw, which is featured a lot in Jurassic Park, doing that like clicking thing against the ground, it was initially thought of as this sort of slashing device. But in models where they tested the strength of such a slash, they found that it wouldn't really have been very good at doing that. Like it wouldn't have really punctured that far. So Rather, a study from Fowler et al. in 2011 suggested that maybe it's actually not using the talon so much as a knife, but more like a fork. So (laughs) think about how eagles and other birds of prey use those long talons. They use them to hold down struggling prey while they basically like eat it alive. Um, They can also like puncture it too to use to like kill their prey. So Yeah, that's probably what they were using it for. Um, They may have even flapped their possibly feathered arms to help stabilize themselves while the prey struggled underneath them. So they were really built for, yeah, holding their prey down. Is that what you use forks for? (laughs) (laughs) When you're eating like alive. Yeah, I'm learning (laughs) a lot about you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think like what I would possibly eat that was still alive. Nothing. Yeah. Do any humans eat things that are still alive? Maybe like bugs or do. something. Are there bugs? Or like Ugh, sea Sorry, creatures? I just got chills. <laughs> that freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the idea of like something squirming while I eat it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes when you eat seafood, it's like so newly dead. Oh, I've I've never had that experience. That sounds kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Like very fresh seafood on the side of an ocean. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to the feathers, um, <laughs> have they found fossils of Deinonychus with feathers? They actually haven't, which begs the question, like, why do we think they had feathers? And really, the reason for that is just because many of the other dromaeosaurs had feathers, and we really see those feather outlines in 
many different fossils. So it's really just an educated guess here. Lots of art of this creature has these like long, beautiful feathered tails and what look like wings. And although that's accurate, Deinonychus wouldn't have been able to fold its arms up kind of like a chicken or really any other bird where they're able to like fold their wings in. So those sort of winged arms would have like basically hung down at their sides. But that's kind of a generally, as, as far as I could tell, it seemed pretty generally accepted that they must have been almost fully feathered. The last thing I wanted to mention about Deinonychus before I forget is its tail. So its tail was built very specifically for balance. The tail is really long and it has these really unique stabilizing rods on either side of sort of the tail vertebrae. The rods and the muscles attached to the tail allow Deinonychus to use its tail kind of like a stabilizing rudder. The thing was actually quite flexible in that it could move side to side pretty far, but it couldn't move up and down. And that that's sort of how the rods kept it stable. The tail would have been really helpful for such a dynamic predator who may have been doing a lot of jumping and sort of clambering around. So it's another indicator of predation, even though it doesn't look like the most scary feature of this amazing raptorial creature. I actually feel like in Jurassic Park, there is something about the tails on the, I guess, Velociraptors or, you know, Deinonychus is that are like, there's just something about them kind of how they like flick, you know, back and forth as they're kind of I stalking think it's that, around. Like, cat thing. Yeah, it's a like cat like thing. Like, yeah. like a cat preying on something. Like a cougar or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so scary. <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day who had like a cougar encounter and she was like, yeah, like sometimes I would just see it's like tail flicking in the woods. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that's the scariest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. I mean, like I said at the start of the episode, I do want to sort of finish off the episode with doing a little comparison to our Jurassic Park Velociraptor. What is similar? What is different? So the first thing we had was size. It was pretty close in size to the ones we see in Jurassic Park, although a little bit smaller. Most size comparisons I've seen compared it to the size of a wolf. So maybe, yeah, a little bit shorter than most of us are imagining, but still a pretty big animal that I'm sure would be quite intimidating if we met in real life. Also, was it a clever girl? Was it a brilliant velociraptor that can open doors? Hard to say. It did have a big brain, but we can't really say if it was like an incredibly smart animal. It also, I was reading a paper about like how much they could move their arms and their wrists, and it doesn't really look like they had a lot of dexterity. They couldn't like move their fingers much, but that's not to say they couldn't like push down a door handle that was like flat. Right. <laughs> so... We also don't know if they hunted in groups. The evidence seems to lean towards no, but maybe we'll find some evidence out there that just flips all this knowledge upside down again. The other thing I want to mention is that Deinonychus actually lived in the Cretaceous, not in the Jurassic. So if we mm. want to be nitpicky here, it was a Cretaceous creature. And in general, the way it looked, in terms of its legs, that long tail, its head shape, it's pretty close to Velociraptor from Jurassic Park, although it would have had feathers. Probably. Overall, I really love this dinosaur. Like, reading about it was just so exciting. And I just really now want to get some, like, paleo art of this beautiful animal because I think it is just one of my favorite 
paper dinosaurs. It's so cool. And I'm kind of sad we don't have them today. Yeah, no, this is such a cool episode. I feel like this episode and the Brachiosaurus episode are are like Jurassic Park episodes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love Jurassic Park. Oh, man, I should have watched Jurassic Park for Halloween. That's a just that's like oh. my ideal type of scary movie. It's like just, just like there's some jump scares. It's like old practical effects. Yeah. And it's it's just such a like I I think I saw some some article about someone saying how like Jurassic Park is like the perfect movie structure. Like they mm-hmm. have such a good way of building it up and it's got such a satisfying ending. And I I really agree with that. Like I think it's very simple and effective. Totally. Yeah. I I watched a nightmare on Elm Street for Halloween this year and it had a lot of really good practical effects. Well, my roommate and I wanted to watch it because a lot of Stranger Things season four was inspired by it. So we were like, we should. Oh, we I didn't know check that. Yeah, yeah. Like Vecna is very similar to Freddy Krueger, just in terms of like, you know, you think the person is o- is only like affecting you in your head, but actually they can they can kill you in real life. And like the a lot, like it, you should watch it. It's not that scary because it's so old um but it's like got a lot like if you've watched stranger things season four and you liked it it has a lot of you'll notice a lot of similarities even in the characters and stuff like that okay i'll have to watch it i watched the only horror movie like outright horror i've ever seen is the shining Mm. um and i really enjoyed that because again that was like more it was like more suspense yeah yeah, yeah. it's not like Nightmare on Elm Street's not very gory or anything. It's just um it's more like psychological, I would say, or just sort of surreal. But yeah, a lot of cool effects. Well, thank you so much. Getting back to the dinosaurs. That was really, really <laughs> away from horror movies. Yeah. It was really <laughs> informative and just like so cool. I had no idea about Dinonychus, but uh yeah, it makes me want to watch Jurassic Park again and just appreciate these dinosaurs and shine the spotlight on them definitely they deserve it and thank you so much everyone for listening thanks again for your patience and we're happy to be back follow us on instagram and twitter at beyond blathers to stay up to date with everything and check out our tiktok at beyond underscore blathers and if you'd like to support the show take a look at our shop update at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye.